Okay. Shalom. Welcome to webyeshiva.org. Um, welcome to the class, the shiur in the topic uh, tefillah in times of trouble. This is a uh, class that is being held during the summer zman at Web Yeshiva. And uh, this is our second meeting. So those of you who might be encountering this either uh, in the the recording uh, or whatever should, uh, or or joining us live for the first time, you, I recommend that you, if you haven't seen or uh, viewed the first shield that you do as an introduction, but we can go on without it. Uh, anyway, even if you haven't had it, I do want to dwell for a few moments. I, every, I would like it if everybody was muted. I'm going to do that. Okay. Um, a, at the end of the last Shior, we we saw the machloket of the Rambam and the Ramban about tefillah, and uh, and 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 this is uh, just something I wanted to just repeat as sort of like the bottom line of how Rav Soloveitchik at least understood the um, the machloket Rambam and Ramban that deals with uh, the nature of the obligation of tefillah. According to, this is the very last thing we did in the last shiur. According to Rav Soloveitchik, the, um, the, the, the obligation to daven only occurs, according to everyone, this is Rav Soloveitchik's interpretation of the machloket that we studied at quite a bit of length last time, that everybody agrees, the Rambam and the Ramban agree that that uh, tefillah is only obligatory from the Torah. That the Torah only expects us, requires us to daven in a time of distress, in a time of trouble. Right. That, that's that's the bottom line according to Rav Soloveitchik. In other words, the Torah does not require us to daven for in a nor in sort of a normal situation where everything is going quite well and maybe we have some things we need we want whatever like any like we always do but in that situation if that was the way we would characterize it there would not be an obligation from the torah the only obligation to pray would be midrabanan from the chachamim what what rav salvechik was mechadeshir was that the according to both the Rambam and the Ramban the obligation the fact that the Torah is a mitzvah that the Torah commands us to daven to Hashem to pray to Hashem in tefillah that's only in a time of trouble and the and as Rav Soloveitchik explained it the only difference between the Rambam and the Ramban is how do you how do you define the scope of uh, the scope of of, of of tsara, the scope of what is misfortune, what is that trouble that obligates 
tefillah from the Torah. According to the Rambam, according to the Ramban, it's a serious trouble. It's, it's, it's not just a trouble that affects you personally on an individual level, but it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a mega crisis that affects an, the entire community, the entire nation, whether it's a war or a famine or something like that. Whereas according to the, the Rambam, it's even the, it's, it, it, I should, maybe we shouldn't belittle it, that according to the Rambam, it also applies to the individual in his, I think we termed it, the, his existential crisis, that he's trying to live a life of uh, spirituality within a, within a realm, within a world, the, the Olam Hazeh, which is material, which is full of troubles and dif difficulties for all of us. And those difficulties aren't necessarily mega crises on the macro scale. They could be mini crises, my everyday crisis, my everyday difficulty in trying to make a living, trying to you know, feed my family, trying to juggle all the things I try to do and devote that time that I, that, that, that is so important at carve out that time for spirituality. This is a crisis. This is a, this is a, a tzara. It's an ongoing tzara. And so according to Rav Soloveitchik, the Rambam would say that there's a mitzvah for on every person to daven every day. To, 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 to turn to Hashem and, 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 and articulate that in some way, that he, wherever, however he can, that situation that he's in. That, that's sort of like what was the conclusion, what we came up with last time. And it's a, quite a, a striking idea. In other words, that, that, that there's a mitzvah, that there's a mitzvah. The Torah requires us to, to put ourselves before Hashem and pour out our, our soul. And, 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 and why is it that, what, what would, so what would be the idea behind that? Why is it that we would only, according to, again, Rav Soloveitchik's explanation, why would we only be required to daven at a time of difficulty? And, and I think we, we, we touched on this last time, is that when there's difficulty, that's when it's easiest for me to be able to really pour out my soul and not just put it on, not just go through the motions. When, when I'm really aware of my crisis, of the crisis that we're in or I'm in, then I can, I can really lose the facade and, and touch the deep part of me that really is vulnerable, really is needy, really needs to really can, in that sense, connect to Hashem in the in the way that recognizes that that I'm totally dependent on him. That that's what you know. That that that's what seems to be the idea there. Of course, beyond that, we have a mitzvah to daven from the from from the chachamim and from the midrabanan three times a day, right? And according to a certain nusach and all of that. But that's all the rabbanan, and it's based on a svar. It's based on on the, um, the logical conclusion that we are needy, we need God's help, and therefore we need to organize ourselves and articulate what it is we need. And 
this is not necessarily looking at it from the point of view of the Torah obligation, but from the point of view of the of 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 of, of why is it that the Chachamim made this takana? Why did they legislate this requirement to daven? We would say it's because they uh, they they saw the, the, the simple, very simple, elementary fact that we need to pour ourselves, to put ourselves before Hashem and to, to daven for our lives, to daven for the things we need. We need, we need it. We need to do it. So that, but since people are not necessarily so articulate, so fluent, so good at expressing or delving into a, a, a succinct or, a, or not even succinct, but any way of expressing what it is they need. So the Chachamim legislated the, the, the requirement to daven on certain times of the day and the, the format. How do we do it? That's what we saw last time. Okay, now what we're gonna, I'm going to put on my presentation, to, which we're going to use for today's shiur. Just one moment. And let's begin one moment. Okay. This is the uh, excerpt from Slichot, the, the piyut that we say toward the end of Slichot that, that I want to use as kind of a framework for a good part of what we're going to do for the rest of the series of Shiurim. And as we see here, right, they, they all have the format, Misha'ana, right? Again, they all have the format. Misha Avinu Barmoriah, Huyaninu Misha Nale Yitzchak, etc. In other words, it it relates to a historical uh, moment in which the uh, the figure or the group of people in the Tanakh in in. Torah, Nevi'im, or Ketuvim, some narrative that we're aware of from, from the Mikra, um, find themselves in a, some kind of distress, right? That's what it seems to be referring to. And it says that Hashem, hu yanenu, in other words, it's, it's, a, it's a wish, that, that, or it's an assertion, maybe an, it's a statement of faith, that just like God answered Avraham, just like God answered Yaakov, just like God answered Yosef, Arbotenu, Yamsuf, etc. In, in a particular context that we learn about in the in the Tanakh, so He will also answer us, and we say this right before we say Tachanun at the end of Slichot. Throughout all the Slichot that we say of the year, this is this piyut is found. Um, I just want to show you that this piyut was inspired by something else. Does, it, does anybody know what that was? What is the, apparently, the basis on which this piyut was constructed? This piyut was written 
It's it's old, but we you know it, it's it's certainly post Talmudic. Okay. Uh, well, if we look at the uh, my next slide, this is the uh, one second. This is the Mishnah in Masechet Ta'anit, at the beginning of Perak Bet, the beginning of the second Perak. And some of you who were in my Gemara Shiurim a few years ago might remember that we studied Masechet Ta'anit, and uh, we actually went through these Mishnayot. These are, in, in a normal book of Mishnayot, these would be separate Mishnayot, but now they're in the Gemara edition, which is what I took this picture from, they are crunched together. They're put all together on one page. So this is like all the Mishnayot of the second chapter of Tanid, and it describes the procedure, the, 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 the process, the, the, the procedure that was, and the goings-on that were done, the way the Minhagim that were followed, I guess it was more than Minhagim, it was a Takana of the... Uh, of the way back of the Anshekinus Tagdola, that this and 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 and, uh, and carried out in subsequent generations to to pray to Hashem when there was a a condition of of drought, of serious drought, and Masechet Tanit goes through the entire description of how you get to this point. This is when it's at the most serious point, and they would actually daven in the. In the in the center of town, in the town square, right, and in the street, and have sifrei Torah, and uh, and they would say have appoint a person to be the baal tefillah. There would also be some words of encouragement before they started, right. And but here we are, a, about a third of the way down, we have the the chazan. The, the Shaliyah Tzibur leads the people in the Shmona Esra, a special edition of Shmona Esra, a special version of Shmona Esra that includes extra brachot. It includes eight, the 18. Here, we see right here. Uh, let me get my little... We're looking... Second. Right here. All right. Ve'omer lifnehem esrim ve'arba'a brachot. Shmone esreisha bechol yom, u'mosif aleyem od shesh. He adds another six brachot to the 20, to the 18 that are normally in the tefillah. Okay? And what are those six? And we go through them here. Right? So they, they quote psukim, there's a body to each one of these extra brachot, but just I'm just looking at the chatima, the last part, or the lifnei chatima of each of those extra brachot, and we see the following: Al harishona umer mi shana et Avraham v'haramoria hu yane etchem bishma bekol tzakatchem. So we see that the very similar language to what we have in the piyut was already you know, existing way before when, as documented here in the Mishnah, 
um, the time of the of the, the of the of of the Ta'anit, the, the Taniot of the entire Tzibur for a, for a drought. Then we have another one. Right? And the Shlishit, Mishanat Yoshua Bagilga. And the fourth one, Rivi'it, Mishanat Shmuel Bamitzpah. And if you look back at our Piyut, previous slide, second. I don't know. All right. Anyway, but if we look back at that list of of uh, items in the piyut from slichot, we see that they are a, not all. Of course, these are only six, right? We have Shmuel, we have Eliyahu Bahar Carmel, we have Yonah Mimea Daga. So we have these that were used in the times of the Tanit. And obviously the piyut that we have, the piyut that uh, expresses this, uh, the piyut that expresses the large number of them. I'm gonna have to, I don't know how to do this. One second, I'm gonna have to get out. One second. I'm going to stop sharing for a second so I can, I don't know why that, I have to learn how to do that, to go back and forth with slides. Just a second. Okay. Okay, so we see here that the, uh, right, here's my slide, it's a little smaller because I'm going to just go forward afterwards, but we see here that there's a lot more than six, right, but the definitely, there's no question that the inspiration for this and some of the content of this piyut is based on the tefillah of the Tanit, okay, and now we're going to get we're going to do one of them that happens to be common, happens to be from the Tefillah of Tanit, which is the one for Avram Avinu. And we see that And the question that comes up right away when we look at this, right, is when did Avram Avinu Make a prayer at Har Moriah. If we look at the story of the Akedah, which I have here, there's, we don't see any place where Avram Avinu uh, turns to Hashem and makes a prayer, nor Yitzchak, for that matter. We, we talk about both of them today, right? I mean, neither of them. And yet, in the Ta'aniyot, we say, What was his prayer? What was he talking about? What, where, where's the prayer? Here I have the, the story of the Akedah. 
snap. Right? It's, there's no prayer. There is a communication between God and Avraham, but there's no tefillah of Avraham. So the question, question is, what was Avraham's prayer? We could also ask, what was Yitzchak's prayer? But let's start with Avraham. What did Avraham daven for at Haram We know the story of the Akedah. I'm not going to go through the entire story of the Akedah now. In, in the shiur, I, I, you know, I'm assuming that you're all familiar with it. And if you're not, tell me and I'll, I'll go over the story. But we know that what happened was that God tells Avraham, you know, go take your only son, your beloved son Yitzchak, and go to, her, to the place where I will show you, Eretz Moriah, and what the Pasuk seems to be saying is offer him up, offer him up there as a as an Olah, as a as a sacrifice on Haramuria. And Avraham does it. He goes, he he obeys God's command without any apparent, you know, question. The next morning he gets up very early in the morning and he gets himself going, he takes two, uh, two servant boys with him, and Yitzchak, of course, and all the things he needs to do this. And as, the as we all know the story, he gets to Haramoriah, and he makes the altar, he sets up the Mizbeach, he binds Yitzchak on the, on the Mizbeach, there's one little exchange between Avram and Yitzchak that, uh, right, where Yitzchak says to Avraham, where is the Sela Olah? Here we have the, we have the thing to make the fire, we have the wood, we have the, whatever, we have the uh, knife, but where is the, uh, where's the, where, where's the animal? Because Yitzchak was not, apparently at this point was not aware of what was happening. Tells him, Hashem yire lo hase la bini. Hashem will see to it what the Olah is, and according to interpretations of this pasuk, Yitzchak at that point understood what was happening. Understood that you could even read the pasuk that way: that la Olah bini, my son is going to be the Olah, right? And at that point, Avraham, at that point, it says, And the two of them went on, walked on together. And so they went on together, understood to mean of united purpose, of, of common being together in it. In other words, they, Yitzchak was desirous to carry out what Hashem was asking Avram to do together with him. So that's the traditional right understanding of the Psukim. Rashi's Perush seems to bear that out. Um, anyway, as we all know, 
Avram binds Yitzchak to the Mizbeach. He gets ready. He lifts the knife. The, the, the Torah kind of slows down at this point, slow motion almost, like like the way do, they do like in some movies or whatever, like that, that, that the, the high climactic moment. There's like two psukim that express it. You know, he lifted up the knife and then and Malach calls out Avram from the Shemayim, calls his name twice and tells him, don't do anything, don't touch Yitzchak, don't hurt him. And uh, and, he's, and and gives the message to Avraham that God sees that he is loyal and faithful. And, for, and for, as a result of that, right, He promises him that, you know, now I know that you're a faithful servant. And then Avram sees the aisle, the ram that's caught in the thicket. He takes it, sacrifices it instead, right? As it says, tachad beno, right? Tachad beno, we have that, right? In the first pasuk on this slide. And then Avram calls the place, Hashem Yireh, and then the Malach calls out Avram again and gives him the message from Hashem that Hashem is because of this, this happened, and you didn't hide your son, your only son, you didn't protect him, you didn't hold him back from me. So therefore, I will bless you and increase your descendants like the head, like the stars of heaven and like the sand on the shore of the sea, and your descendants will inherit, will, will conquer the gates of their enemy, meaning that they will prevail militarily if, whenever they're in such a situation. And, uh, and the entire, all the nations of the world will be blessed through your descendants. This is the promise made to Abraham. So that's what happens at the Akedah. And the question is, you know, where's Abraham's prayer? What would you say? Anybody have any any ideas to offer here? What is Avraham's prayer? Yeah, Ruhama. Go ahead. Let me un unmute you in a second. Go ahead. It's possible that it's the Hineni, which means here I am. It's not a petition, but it's a communication. And it's in there twice, once to his son, and then once when the angel speaks. And Hineni, I think, usually means here I am ready to do whatever needs to be done. So that's a form of communication. It's, it is a form of communication. Is it really a tefillah that we would refer to in the slichot? You know, that just like you answered Avraham, what, you know, what, what, where is the, I'm not sure I understand. How do you understand the, the, what, what the, what the tefillah? of Hineni is. I agree that it's a communication, but it's more like a declaration. I'm here, I'm ready, I'm willing. But where is the prayer? That That's what, I mean, you see a well, see, in it? Mm, go ahead. My first question, which I didn't post, was, and with what expectation? I mean, come on. The world is full of tragedy every single minute. And it's an old question. Nobody's ever really been able to answer it. I'm not expecting you to answer it. But 
to me, it's just because we have to admit that we aren't always saved, the good aren't always saved, the, the evil prevails, whatever, that what's important is not the asking for something with an expectation, but some form of communication with Hashem. And okay, I hear you. In other words, some way of reaching out, reaching to Hashem. In, correct. Uh-huh. Okay. And it's easier to do that when you feel in need. Um, I don't do the Amidah right now. I haven't done it for a long time because I feel it, it's, um, it would be, I don't know, not hypocritical exactly, but false. I can praise, I can reach out, but to give a list and, oh, please do this and this and this. Save those poor people here and there and there. Save those little children who just had their first communion and got killed by this guy with this big gun. Come on. You wanted wanted activity. Here I am. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, look, I mean, you're, you're asking, of course, very difficult question in general, a general, very difficult question. And clearly the Akedah, was some kind of something in that direction of, you know, God was asking Albert to do something very difficult. Um, and perhaps what, what, I, what I hear you saying is that when, uh, when we, we are faced with these difficulties, with these impossible situations to really be able to understand, then really what we can do is somehow reach out to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, somehow try to communicate with him, to touch him, to, to touch him, not to reach, so to speak, and to somehow try to make a, make a connection. Um, yeah, okay. Uh, okay, that's taking a little different direction than what I originally thought. Anybody have any other ideas? Rabbi, if I may. Yeah, go ahead, Adam. Yeah. So when I was in the hospital um, in November, um, basically with the pneumonia, my lungs were so filled that I could barely breathe. And uh, I was essentially dying. I was told that if I didn't get better, you know, on my own, or if there wasn't any medical intervention, I would eventually die. And another person that was in a room near me, close to me, was my age and had died. So the Tefillah uh, resonates with me very personally, because I did reach out, as you were saying, existential crisis. My life was literally on the line. And so I was crying. I had my, you know, my covered my head and underneath the blanket covering my head, I started crying and I started praying out to Hashem. And I said, Hey, you know, am I, you know, what do you want? You know, what what would you like me to do with my life? If it's just supposed to end right here in a hospital bed. I kept talking and crying, and, you know, I got the answer, you know, uh, that nurse would come in and say, hey, we have a medicine that you can take that's going to actually help you get better, and I knew that that was the answer to that intercession, that, you know, that, that prayer that I did. You know, I didn't know a specific blessing. I pulled out my phone and did a research on some, and I started saying some blessings and all that stuff, and then within a week of that medicine, I got better, and then I was out of the hospital the day before uh, Thanksgiving, and so I had something more profound to be thankful 
for me, but he did answer that prayer for me. So I understand that that Tefillah, like on a more, you know, personal level, because oh, I feel I should be praying for things because it seems selfish or whatnot. You know, like, I mean, that's just my thought, my thought, my thought on it. Right. Right. Okay. So. Have I? What about, yeah. the, what about the prayer that Abraham had regarding stone, Anshay stone? I mean, there he was actually praying, you know, we had a communication in terms of trying to save people. Well, I don't know if he was on Har Maria at the time. I'm not sure. But um, oh, there, no, was, a, there was, was a situation. He definitely was not. Yeah. Okay. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah. So you have a situation where he's praying for other people. He's trying to save, you know, trying to save and speaking to God. I don't know if that can be called a tefillah. I mean, Atfila basically is um, pretty set, Shevach, Bakashan, and, uh, you know, Toda, basically that. But here he is speaking, um, right. speaking, right. and and, uh, and also another thing that he prayed is that he also prayed for Yishmael, that Hashem should listen to Yishmael. Right. Right. And so there are a couple of places that he did pray. So I'm no, not sure. no, Right, I agree, I agree Sarah. Sarah. That's Sarah speaking, right? Right. I, I agree that um, I agree with you very much that the, the Torah has a few passages in which we see Avraham explicitly praying to Hashem, but the only story of Avraham. And so I, I agree with you. You're right. We have we have we know that Avraham prayed to Hashem. We and 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 if the even if even if if the Torah didn't tell us explicitly, we have a very strong tradition. That Avraham uh, davened to Hashem and called out to Hashem, and and, and you know that, that's clear. I mean, but but the the question that I'm I'm posing here is 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 a problem with the fact that the narrative, the only place in the Torah, as far as we know, in terms of the narrative of the Torah, where when when Avraham, the only time where Avraham was at Har Moriah was the Akedah, was this story of the Akedah. And and we don't see there, you know, uh, Ruhama gave an answer that Hineni might be a type of a prayer. Perhaps, could be. Okay, that's a possibility. But we don't really see any explicit, you know, a, because prayer, the way the Rambam defined it, what we learned last week, the core of prayer is bakasha. It's, 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 Laying out our um, our vulnerabilities and our needs, not because we to answer you a little bit, Ruham. It's not in the sense that we're going to, you know, expect that I say a prayer and I'm going to get everything I'm asking for or anything that I'm asking for necessarily. But by my enumerating all the different ways in which I am vulnerable and needy and lacking. And imperfect, I am in that sense, in the truest way, reaching out to God and praise, and in, in a sense, praising Him as well, because the greatest praise is for me to, to tell Him how dependent I am on Him. And again, not that I understand how He works or how I'm going to benefit necessarily from it, but, but by my enumerating what my crisis is, what my need is, what I'm I'm putting myself in that vulnerable place and saying, I, I, I need I need you. I'm, I'm dependent on you. And that's, that's 
That's the relationship. That's what the Rambam defines as the core of prayer, is the bakasha. It's the middle part of the tefillah. We open with shevach, with praise. We say bakashot. And then we close with thanks. So the, the middle part, which is the core of it, is the, is the bakasha. So I'm asking, my question here is, what was the bakasha? What, what do we think was what Avraham, you know, if we want to say that he gave a prayer in the way that Rambam defines what is prayer, which is a very basic, fundamental you know, definition of what prayer is, and it has no formal shape or, you know, except for those three parts that are very, you know, it's a very basic thing. So the question is, where was Avraham's prayer like that? Where was he expressing some kind of a, of, of, of a dependency or a need or, 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 or something that he, that he felt that, 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 that he wanted to express that he needed in some way that he was looking for? And that I, is not explicit in the Torah. Is there any, is a different definition of prayer during Abraham's time? I mean, Rambam classified it for us, but is there a different de definition of prayer um, in those times? There wasn't, you know, Abraham is... No, I, I agree. It's not... Def definitely prayer as we know it today would, did not exist then in the format that we have. And uh, no, but but what the Rambam is saying is that prayer is a very, very basic thing. And this is what prayer is. He defines what it is. And it's it's composed of these three parts. The three parts are not formalized. It's just some kind of praise of Hashem is a way to open up because it's of respect, to show your respect to Hashem. And then to express the need, to express the bakasha. And then in the end to say, you know, some kind of thanks, some kind of thanksgiving. So that that's a very basic definition. I'm only bringing it to say that I think that we would find, I'm not saying that every prayer that we would look in the psuke, we would see all those parts in it, but we will definitely find some kind of some kind of bakasha, some kind of expression of need. I, I think that's, you know, what we would expect to find, and we don't find it explicit here. So that what I'm asking is, what do we think Avraham might have been praying for at Haram Oriyah. Okay, so I, 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 uh, I came up with three ideas right off the bat when I was thinking about this the first time. One is that Avraham was praying to Hashem that he was, that he, he wanted to be able to succeed in carrying out the command that God gave him. The command that God gave him was super difficult. I mean, the, the, the most extremely difficult command that God could give Avram. Avram prayed his whole life looked forward to having a son who he could pass on his way of life to, his beliefs, his 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 his, his mission. And 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 he, he and it's it, it's so poignant. I mean, you know, and when Yitzchak is born, it's like this fulfillment. And then God asks him to take him and sacrifice him, right? I mean, I mean, Avram wants to do what God commands to him, but this is so such a difficult. This is such a challenge. This is such a a, a, a difficult thing, right? So I think perhaps one idea is that that Avram was asking God to help him. It's not explicit in the Torah, but maybe what Avraham 
would have would have been asking of God at Har Moriah would be, you know, give me the strength to be able to do what you're what you're commanding me to do. That's one possibility. Right? It's a possibility. Another possibility is that it's not 100% clear to Avram what God really wants and that he's asking God to give him more clarity about it. Perhaps Avraham, you know, he got whatever communication he got through his nevuah, and maybe it wasn't 100% clear to him. Maybe he wasn't 100% sure what was going to happen, and he's praying to Akadosh Baruch Hu to help him get it, get it more clearly. And thirdly, third, third idea I had was that maybe he's praying to Hashem to call off the test, to call off this, this is a test after all, right? I mean, that's what Hashem is giving him, this terrible mivchan, this, this incredible mivchan, right? Trial. And maybe he, he, what he really wanted was like, don't do this to me. Don't put me in this situation. Maybe he wants somehow for Hashem to retract it. That's another possibility, right? Well, there's also you raised your hand. Yeah, go yeah, ahead. There's a there's a midrash, a really terrible one where Itzhak dies, mm-hmm. and then the, I think the angel's tears or whatever he gets revived. So it sounds yeah. to me that possibly some rabbi who created this story um, mm-hmm. was concerned, and so he so that would certainly evoke a prayer if he if he realized that he had succeeded and he wants to undo it right um i haven't read that in a long long time but i know that there are instances terrible instances that during the crusades when jews actually did the people did kill their children um i believe they said we did what avram wouldn't do so i mean there's a there's an ambivalence about this whole why would they kill their children? As martyrs, you mean? I don't they, understand. Yeah, they martyred their children because they were going to be forced to convert. It's a terrible story. Yeah. But yeah. The, let's go just back to the Midrash, which is not so terrible, that, that he does die. And that the, I, I don't know if it's the angel's tears. You you know that story? Somehow. Yeah, yeah no, I, 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 know that, I know that Midrash. I didn't actually bring it for this shiur. Um, well, we'll give I, you a prayer. <laughs> yeah, well... Yeah, in other words, Avram might have been praying that Yitzchak would somehow come out alive in the end, despite whatever he's doing, right? Something like right. that. Um, okay, that's possible. Yeah, okay. Um, let's look at, what I want to do now is look at a few of the sources that I brought that try, that I think from them we might try to understand or construct some kind of answer to our question, okay? By the way, I want to just say about Yitzchak's prayer, uh, Yitzchak's prayer might be something sort of similar or parallel to Avram's, but obviously from his own perspective, okay? So we're not really dealing explicitly with Yitzchak, but we have to keep that in the back of our mind that that's, we have the same question about Yitzchak. Okay, so here is uh, the first source I have is Rashi. Rashi here um, brings... Uh, couple of explanations in Pasuk Yud Bet, in the story of the Akedah, in Ebreshit Kaf Bet, Pasuk Yud Bet. When the Malach uh, 
calls out to Avraham and says, don't touch, don't, don't send your hand forth to Yitzchak. Al tishlach yadcha el hanar. So Rashi explains here. Let me get my little arrow again. Al tishlach lishchot to slaughter him. Don't do it. Like Moshe, like Avram Avinu is getting a command right now. Don't do it. Don't do what you're about to do. Amar lo. This is a little bit in the direction, by the way, of what you were saying, Rucham. It's not the same midrash. This is also a midrash. Rashi's quoting. Amarlo, this is from Breshit Rabbah. Amarlo, he said to him, Im came lechinam bati lechan. If so, then for nothing I came here. In other words, I came all the way and did all this, and it's for nothing. Esebo chabala, botzimi menu me'at dam. Let me... Make a maybe let me wound him a little bit. I'm not going to slaughter him, but let me make a little draw a little bit of blood. That way, I will at least have done something of the command that I was given. Apparently, that's the idea here, right? Amar lo altas lo meuma, altas bomum. Don't do anything. Don't blemish him in any way. In other words, that's right because the pasuk is repetitive. It says al tishlach yad altas lo. Ma'uma. Don't don't touch him. Don't send your hand forth to the boy, and don't don't do him anything to him. Right. So what is the repetition? It's don't kill him, and also don't do cause him any. Don't because Abraham. In other words, what this what this Rashi seems to express is that Avram so much wanted to obey the command that God gave him, right? That he wanted to do something. When when he was told not to slaughter, so this is very much in the kivuna in a way of that midrash that you were saying that that midrash says that he went ahead and did it. That's not really so, you know, according to the pshat, because the pshat here is that he was told not to do it and that he didn't do it. Okay, you know that that's the pshat and the psukim. That midrash is problematic. It's not it's not pshat, right? But Rashi is trying to use midrashim as a way of bringing out a stronger or deeper or richer meaning in the pshat. That's what Rashi is doing here. So Rashi is saying that, that Avram very much was, you know, wanted to obey God's command. He wanted to, 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 to not to fail to do the command. So when he was told not to slaughter, so, okay, so I'll do something. No, not that either. Okay, the next Rashi is where, you know, the Malach goes on to say, now I know that you are Yirei Elohim. Now I know that you're, you fear God, right? You really fear God. Now you've passed the test, right? Now I know. So, the, so Rashi brings the Midrash. Let's read it. Amar Rabbi Abba, Amar lo Avraham, Afaresh lefanecha tzichati. Avraham said to God, and listen here, this is this this could be again, keep our question in mind. Does this help us understand better? Because the first Rashi we just did before seems to point in the direction that Avraham's request to God at least was that I want to be able to do your command. I want to be able to succeed in in doing this and carrying out what you asked me to do. Right? 
Here, there's a dialogue, and it's very different. Amar lo Avram, Avram said to God, I will, sp I will put out my sicha, my, I'll, I'll put out what I have to say in front of you. I'm, I'm going to lay it all out to you now, Hashem. I'm going to, this is, this is what's, you know, I've had enough. Here it is, right? What is he saying to him? Et mol amartali, before you said to me, ki lecha zara, that, you know, in other words, not, not yesterday, but in the past, you told me that Yitzchak would be my descendant. That in other words, I will have my descendants through Yitzchak. And you went back and said, And then you came and gave me this command, take your son, which is the beginning of the command of the Akedah, take your son, your only son, and go to Har Moriah and sacrifice him. Now you're telling me not to touch him. Like, what's going on? In other words, what Avram is saying to God is, you know, you're completely confounding me. I don't know what, I don't know what's, what's real, what, 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 what you, your will really is. First, you told me that Yitzchak is going to be my continuation into the future. Then you're telling me to take him to Amoria and sacrifice him. And now you're telling me not to touch him. Well, what's going on? Amar lo HaKadosh Baruch Hu, lo achalel briti. I will not um, profane my covenant. I will not, you know, I will not, uh, I guess we could translate that as, I will not break my promise. I will not break my covenant. And I will not uh, uh, change that which comes out of my mouth. In other words, don't, don't think that I'm not being consistent. You think that I am not, be, that, that I was contradicting myself in all these different commands. No. And here's Rashi's famous the Midrash that Rashi brings, the famous answer to the question of what was really going on here, when I told you, take, meaning take Yitzchak, and to, right, I will not change what I said. What did, what did God say to, to, to Avram? Right? I, he said, Take him, right? Take him to Eretz Moriah and take him up to an Olah. So Avram understood that to mean sacrifice him because we use that word to offer up a sacrifice but that's here this but that's not what god meant according to this midrash i didn't tell you to slaughter him to offer him up as a sacrifice take him up in other words take him up to the top of the mountain right you took him up now bring him down. 
In other words, if you read carefully the command that God gave Abraham, he never told him to kill Yitzchak. He told him, take him up for an olah, to do a sacrifice of an olah. Not that he's the sacrifice, but that wasn't clear, obviously. The ambiguity in those words was the basis for the mivchan of Avraham. Obviously, a Kodesh Baruch who wanted, wanted Avraham to not fully understand what he was, be, what he was being told. The idea was that, but, but God was consistent. God's command, the ambiguity in it, allows God to tell Avraham here that in this Midrash, this Midrashic depiction, that, you know, his words were totally consistent. And it was Avraham who thought what he thought, right? That's the, so, so according to this uh, Rashi, it could be that Avraham was confused. I mean, he was probably confused right away. You know, you told me that Yitzchak was going to be my descendant. And now you're telling me to, to, to offer him as a sacrifice. Avraham was, was not he wanted clarity. Maybe that's what he was asking God for at Armoya. Clarify to me what 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 you mean, what you want. You're, it sounds contradictory to me, right? So that could be what um, that could be what Avraham's prayer was. So there's a um, parallel, isn't there, with Hannah? She begs for a son, and then she has to dedicate that son to God. So you could marshal that argument in support yeah. of Rashi's theory. Huh? Yeah, could be. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Okay. However, Rabbi, there is yeah. nothing in the shot to say any of that. All of this is something that's conjecture. All these are Midrashim. So when oh, all right, Midrashim are are supplying information or ideas that are not explicit in the psukim. I agree with you. But but Rashi at least felt, I don't think that the more, the, 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 the some of the other commentators would agree with Rashi, but, but Rashi seemed to feel that the Midrash here is giving a pshat in the Pasuk, a simple meaning. In other words, that what God said to Avraham was to take up, it's hard to the, take him up to do an Ola, an, an Ola. He's not the Ola, but that's not obviously what Avram understood. And that's not, you know, what we generally have the sense of it that we take, that we take from it. But but however, you to answer mm-hmm. your question, there's still in the Peshat, there's nothing there that shows or says what Avraham said. So in other words, your question was, where do we see in the Peshat? And basically we don't. It's no, no, no. I agree with you. We don't. We don't see. That, that, that's the, the answer. I wasn't asking where can you find it in the pshat. That, 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 maybe, maybe I wasn't clear. Well, my question in this shiur is where, what might have been Avram's you know, prayer? We don't really know because it's not stated. But the Midrash, but, but the but Slichot, the Piyot in Slichot says very clearly that Avraham was answered at Haram Oriyah by God for 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 that, that 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 he apparently appealed to God. He, he made some prayer and he was answered. And so in this year we're conjecturing. We don't know. It won't be true of a lot of the other cases that we'll see in subsequent shiurim. But with Avram Avinu, we don't know what his prayer was exactly. That's why we're trying to explore it to figure it out. Okay. Okay. Here, look at this next Rashi on the next pasuk. 
תחת בנו. מאחר שכתוב ויעלהו לעולה, In other words, when it, since it says that Avram took the ram that they found, he found on, right, right away after he was stopped from sacrificing Yitzchak and, 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 and he brought it up, took it up at a sacrifice. So that's enough. We know what it meant. He brought it up for the Olah. So lo chaser mikra klum. The Pasuk doesn't need any further explanation. So what is this tachat beno? Because the Pasuk says that he brought it up for a sacrifice, tachat beno. That's what the Pasuk says. In place of his son. Why, what does that add? So the Midrash gives an answer to this. Al kol avodah mimenu here we go. See, the Midrash says that Avram was mitpalel. So here's a possible answer to what it was that Avram was davening for. He was praying as he went on. This is after the Akedah is over. Yitzchak is safe, right? Avram is now sacrificing the ram, right? Every bit of the act of sacrificing that ram and every aspect of it, every phase of it, he was praying and saying the following, May it be the will before God that, he, that this will be as if it was done in my son. As if, right? Right? As if my son has been uh, slaughtered. As if his blood has been thrown on the Mizbeach. As if he is, his skin has been taken off. You know, just like what you do to a sacrifice, right? As if he was burnt and became ash. They became, you know, the remains of the fire. This is a very, you know, Difficult midrash in a way, in the sense that Avram is, as it were, praying as he sacrificed the ram that everything he did, he prayed that it that God should look at it as if he did this to Yitzchak. There's Avram again; it, it reinforces what one of the possibilities that we said before that Avram very much wanted to carry out God's will, and so he wants that even what he's doing instead to be as if he had done it the way that he understood initially, right? It's a little, little uneven with the, with the answer that we saw before, that God said, that's not what I meant, right? But in a way, God did mean that Avram should think that. And so Avram wants God to accept it. He wants to be able, he wants it to be a full, you know, uh, carrying out of God's will despite you know, as it were, as if he had done it. Right. Okay. And we're basically at the end of our hour. I didn't quite finish everything I wanted to show you. I wanted to show you a few midrashim as well. Um, it will take another minute and just look at the next one. Um, this one's... Yeah, bit of a stretch. 
I mean, in other words, what we see from this one is that it compares Abraham's three days. It says in the story of the Akedah that on the third day, God showed him where to go, which mountain, right? So the, this Midrash says that there were a lot of Shloshayamim throughout the Tanakh, and, and it was Bishut Avraham. In other words, the point is it's making comparison between the three days of Avraham and three days that B'nai Israel were at Har Sinai and, and or right before Matan Torah, or three days that Yonah was in the belly of the way of the of the of the uh, fish, right? In other words, that the the three days of terror, three days of fear, and 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 all the examples brought in this midrash here. You can look at I, I posted these sources. You can look at it yourself. All the examples brought in this midrash are examples of three days, which you can understand them to be three days in which the 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 person involved the or the group of people involved were in terror were afraid were were were, were in mortal danger or, or were scared right at Harsinai, even though it was a wonderful thing they were scared the mountain it was a very scary situation before matan torah so you know the mountain thundering and lightning and the shofar and all that going on the people in other words they they the three days of fear so if we extrapolate that back to Moshe, to Avram Avinu, it could be that Avram Avinu was feeling fear, fear and trepidation and what he was being asked to do. And so his prayer was, you know, give me clarity. Let me, give me a way to, you know, allow Avraham to be safe. I'm sorry, allow Yitzchak to come out of this alive, but I want to fulfill your will. Something like that. Um, there's another midrash that I bring here on this slide, where Yishtachave, where it says Nishtachave ben Ashuvalechem. Avram says to the the, the the two servant boys that he leaves behind, "We will worship and we will come back to you." So maybe this Hishtacha, it says that Bizchuta Hishtachavaya, Yitzchak was saved, right? Right here it says right here. We'll see. Right, just to point out the the, the the line, right? Everything is in the because of the merit of the of the bowing down to Hashem. Avram lo Avram didn't come back from Avram. in peace, you know, safely. Ela right? And maybe that implies what is Bowing down to Hashem. It, it's an expression that could very well be of prayer, right? Ishtachavaya is, is, could be an element of a prayer. So this could be saying that Avram, showing that Avram was somehow praying that there's an element of prayer in it. It's not the pshat, but it could be that that's what we, uh, what this Midrash might be showing us. Wait a minute. I'm too far. Okay. Anyway, there's an interesting explanation of the Maharsha here. Uvrav Ramamar, one second. This is this is this Maharsha is on the Maharsha wrote Chidushe Agadot and Chidushe Halachot on Shas and on the uh, sugyot of the of the Talmud Bavli, 
of the, the Gemara. And in Antanit, where the Gemara talks about these tefillot that were said in a Ta'anit, it talks about the different, you know, prayers that were said and different extra brachot. And the one about Avraham, okay, here it says, V'itchil, V'itchil ba'Avraham shu rosham ha'aminim shenana behar ha'moriyah. That he was answered on Har Moriah. Look what the Marsha says. Not that he was answered in, in that Yitzchak wasn't slaughtered. In other words, what Avram was not wishing that Yitzchak would not be killed, would not be slaughtered. Ella also be kesh mimenu yitbarach. Elohim What Avram was asking at Har Moriah was, Hashem will, will, will make clear to us who is the Sela Ola. So Avram knew that it was a possibility, maybe more than a possibility, that what Hashem meant was that Yitzchak would be the, the Ola, right? That Avram was going on that assumption. But he knew that there, what this, what, what, what the Marsha seems to be saying here is that Avram knew that there was an ambiguity, knew that it wasn't clear what the Allah was going to be. And he, that was what he was asking. He was asking Hashem to clarify it. Right? That's an interesting, you know, there's, there we see that the Marsha gave some kind of an answer, right? Again, I welcome you to look at this on your own. Let's see what uh, we have any more slides here to show you in a second. Right. Okay, so that that's basically uh, we raised a few possibilities. I, uh, there was some other thing I wanted to just mention as a very final thing to conclude. If, if indeed Avraham's prayer would have been that the uh, that he gets clarity from Hashem and what Hashem really wanted really wanted him to do then the aisle was the answer to his prayer when we say that just like you answered Avraham at Har Moriah so you know Avraham's Obvious dilemma. Sarah was that he had to do something that he understood Hashem wanted him to do, and apparently it was to to sacrifice his son. And but that seemed to contradict, as we saw, contradict what Hashem had promised him previously. And as a father, you know, the, it's the, and the father of, with his only son that he saw as his as his his the one carrying on his way. Very difficult. So the 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 aisle might have been the answer. In other words, the fact that God gave him the clarity said that no, don't sacrifice your son. And then right away, Avram saw the the ram. That that aisle that aisle was the answer that that Akharshbaku gave him. Um, right. There's another midrash that that I didn't bring that in the Yerushalmi and in the Tanhuma that says that. Avram Avinu davened and said, just like you, uh, 
that Avraham was praying about the future. And he was saying that just like, just like I, Avraham, squelched my normal, natural rachamim of a father for his son in order to get to go so far as to practically carry out the what I understood to be the command of sacrificing my son. So you, Hashem, in the future, may your midat rachamim squelch, can conquer your midat din when Israel, when the nation of Israel are, are, have gone astray, and may you have mercy on them. Okay, so, uh, okay, I'm going to, going to stop sharing one moment. And just close the shiur and say that, uh, I apologize for going a little over time here. I didn't get to the things I wanted to show you till very much close to the end. So uh, uh, I, this shiur is a little bit of an exception because this particular one in the uh, Sidra in the series, because looking at the prayer of Avraham and perhaps of Yitzchak as well, which weren't explicitly written, we were kind of trying to figure out, we were spending the time trying to figure out what was his prayer, what was he asking, and what, how did Hashem answer him? And uh, so I, I think we gave some lines of direction to think about that. It was mostly kind of a parshanut question, a question of explanation of the narrative in the Torah, the verses of the Torah. And uh, but what I'd like to do in the in the next session, which is about Yaakov Avinu, and perhaps we'll do we'll go further on the list as well, is to look at the text where the Torah tells us what was the prayer of that person of the, in, in that context and see what what element, what is in that prayer that can help us understand, you know, some maybe as a guideline for us in times of distress and do we actually adopt that in our prayers as well. So that's what we will do next time. We'll do, do Yaakov Avin next time and, and carry on down the list as well. Any questions or comments before I close the shiur? Okay. If not, then uh, everyone should be well. Till next time. Thank you. Thank you very much.